morning. Okay. Well, uh, we will be on the on page 39 in the Pew Bible for any of you that want to use that. Uh, as usual, there uh, we'll be doing Q&R at the end. Um, so if you want to head to slido.com and put RevCDA into the prompt, you can ask questions. Um, you can do those questions anonymously or you can sign your name to them per the dictates of your conscience. All right. So let's pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I uh, thank you for this opportunity to gather, to spend time together in your word. Lord, I'm uh, just grateful that you are God that pursues his people, um, that you, you forgive us of our wrongdoings and give us a path to redemption. Lord, I just, uh, I just pray you watch over my words and that they would be yours, Lord, and that you would um, just remove anything that I say that is not from you. Uh, I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The best Star Trek episodes begin with transporter accidents. Zach Adams, July 2022. <laughs> so this is how Zach opened uh, one of the first sermons that we sat in the pews. And... Um, as soon as those words left his mouth, I could feel my wife turn and look at me because I am a nerd and she is not nerdy. And I'm actively working to raise two additional nerds. Um, and it just, I think at that point, I'm nodding in agreement with Zach, right? That yes, all those Star Trek episodes with transport accidents are the best. And my wife is fearing for the future of our children. Um, being surrounded by nerdy people. So I, um, other ways that I am particularly nerdy is I love musical theater. I was not a theater kid per se, but um, there's just something about those powerful ballads and those heart-wrenching melodies that I can't get enough of. And musicals, much like the story of Joseph, sometimes feel larger than life. They feel big. And as we enter this climax, if the story of Joseph was a musical, okay, it is a musical, but it's not one of my favorites, so I'm going to ignore it. But if the story of Joseph was a musical, um, we're in the last big all-cast song, right? The big climax, the final number, and we get to see this close of the tension that was opened in the first few acts of the play, or first few scenes of the play. We get to see Joseph's family come back together. And this tension that is resolved in this case was a sin by the brothers where they sold him into slavery. As we work through Genesis 44 and 45, I wanna talk about God's heart for reconciliation and the impact that this has on our lives as Christians. And I wanna highlight three particular areas that reconciliation starts with sin. Reconciliation is work done by both parties and reconciliation is a witness to those around us. Uh, have you ever found yourself in the pews sort of looking up words that are just thrown around normally in Christian vernacular? Uh, I have, and so in that spirit, I'm going to talk about reconciliation. According to Easton's Bible Dictionary, reconciliation is a change from enmity to friendship. It is mutual. 
It is a change wrought in both parties who have been at enmity. Now, enmity, according to Google, is the state of feeling or being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. Reconciliation is the move from hostility and from division to friendship. So reconciliation for us is the climax of this story, but where do we start? This reconciliation begins with a division. Reconciliation requires sin from people to be able to be reconciled. In Romans, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin and the sin of the people around us will forever create division. Forgiveness is the first step in the process towards reconciliation. But God shows us that we must not only forgive the sin, but work with those people to reconcile those relationships harmed by that sin. Sin began in the garden. The first sin created separation from God. And God's been working to resolve that separation since Adam and Eve left the garden. Like the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, Joseph's story begins with a wicked act committed by his brothers. They're jealous and they're angry at the status that their father gives to their younger brother. And so they sell him into slavery. The brothers attempt to solve their division by separating themselves from the source of their frustration. They sell the brother off and they tell their father that he's dead. They struggle to endure the weight of that sin for many years to come. How many of you have, been, have wronged a friend or a stranger? Gossiped, hated, lusted after, sought revenge against? And how many of you have been wronged? The church as a whole plays both parts in different areas of our lives. We are both the brothers at times and Joseph at times. I think about parenting when I think about this. There is times for me within a matter of moments that I am both sinful and cause hurt and am hurt by my kids and their words or their actions, right? That we are in this place where because we are broken sinners, we are constantly surrounded by broken relationships. God calls us to forgive but he constantly in the Bible displays forgiveness as a path towards reconciliation with others. Uh, think of it like this, sin can cause two people to walk away from each other. Forgiveness puts them in a place where they've turned back towards each other and reconciliation is the path as they walk back closer together. The consequences of sin and the power of reconciliation reminds me of the musical Les Mis. Uh, a man named Jean Valjean becomes a thief in the night. He becomes a dog on the run. Um, he's fallen into a life of sin and crime. Homeless, he's offered a warm meal and a warm place to stay overnight. And in the middle of the night, he wakes up and he steals from the people in that church. He's soon caught and brought back before the bishop of that church. And the bishop takes the opportunity and he convinces the arresting officers that, that those things that he had stolen were, were a gift 
not stolen. And then he gives him more things to start a new life with and to begin anew. This wrecks Valjean. So in this next song, we get Valjean wrestling with this bewildering generosity of this man. Yet, why did I allow this man to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust. He called me brother. My life, he claims, for God above can such things be. For I had come to hate the world, the world that's always hated me. Valjean was a man living in sin, and his life was a war that he couldn't, couldn't win. He was locked in a battle without an end until someone showed him the kindness offered to us in Christ. The bishop took the first step to reconcile this broken relationship with this thief that would start a path where this man reconciled to God, does immeasurable good for others in, this name of, in his name. God's heart is to be reconciled to his people. And reconciliation is the path sinful people take to being redeemed. Reconciliation starts with sin. But reconciliation work, reconciliation is done, is work done by both parties. Joseph's story, as we touched on, starts with sin. Joseph is proud and the sin of his brothers having sold him into slavery. Joseph has been harmed and wronged by those that are supposed to have loved him and protected him. Joseph was thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, elevated in status just to go to jail again. And then when we come back, he's promoted to second in command of Pharaoh alone. It's easy to imagine a scenario where Joseph is angry and bitter towards his family and his brothers. But Joseph doesn't allow these circumstances to consume him with rage. And that's not God's plan for him either. And he gets to work through that. The sin of these brothers has created a need for reconciliation that for Joseph starts with doing some secret tests. Um, at this point, at the start of 44, we're starting to catch a glimpse of Joseph's brother's change. But Joseph, although he's forgiven his brothers, as Zach talked about last week, he's still leery of them. He has no real reason to trust them. So in 42, he gave them an opportunity to sacrifice Simeon to save the family. And in 43, they show back up in Egypt and from Joseph's perspective, pass the first test. I wanna take a moment to touch on Joseph's caution. Zach, a few weeks ago, did a good job when we talked about chapter 37 of really articulating the egregiousness of the crime committed against Joseph, right? He was, he was trafficked by his brothers, sold into slavery. When we're talking about reconciling with those that have done us harm and potentially tremendous harm, it's important to recognize that Joseph was in a position to not be hurt again by these people. He has all the power. He can be careful. He can make sure that if he's extending an olive branch, so to speak, right, that, that he's not gonna put himself in a position to be victimized again. And I think that's, although I'm advocating for reconciliation for people that have sinned against us, I think it's important to recognize that there is the possibility, if you are participating in that, 
that you, are, you could be hurt again. And if you are in a position where you're working towards reconciliation with someone who has harmed you in the past, make sure you're not doing that in isolation. Take counsel with people, talk to elders, talk to people you trust. And don't blindly walk into situations where you can be hurt again, right? Keep healthy boundaries and make sure that you're careful in those. Reconciliation is wonderful and we'll continue talking about that, but make sure that you're protecting yourself if you're in those situations. So back to Joseph. Joseph at this point has devised one more test for his brothers. He's putting his brothers up against the test that they've failed once and passed once. He's giving them a chance to sacrifice one brother and let the others go free. So Joseph sets a trap for his brothers. He sets them off again with more provisions than they had paid for, plus the silver they had brought to pay for the goods, and a cup in Benjamin's bag. Joseph has them discovered as they're leaving the city. And when Joseph's men stop the brothers and ask about the cup, the brothers are supremely confident in their, uh, their innocence. So much so that they say, in Genesis 44, if it is found with one of us, your servants, he must die, and the rest of us will become your Lord's slave. And then they find the cup. It's not a lot we know about the intricacies of the brothers' reaction, right? We don't know if they thought Benjamin was guilty or um, if they thought him to be innocent. But we do know they don't leave their brother behind. They tore their clothes in grief, they loaded their donkeys, and they returned to the city. And then, in the brothers' reaction, Joseph gets to observe the weight of the guilt that they have carried for these years. In Genesis 44:16, "What can we say to my Lord?" Judah replied, "How can we plead? How can we justify ourselves? God has exposed your servant's iniquity. We are now your Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup was found. In other words, the brothers are saying, God has exposed our guilt. We're not guilty of stealing this cup, but we are guilty. They're making a vague statement about their guilt to the man who knows full well the guilt of these brothers. This guilt that's lingered and festered for over 20 years. And is the first thing when they think of when something doesn't go to plan, like we've talked about in other ones, other, other weeks. So here Joseph gives them one more little mini test. In response to Judah's insistence that they are now all slaves, then Joseph said, I swear that I will not do this. The man in whose possession the cup was found will be my slave the rest of you can go in peace to your father. He gives them one more chance to leave Benjamin behind. And the brother's response is, we are, stick, we are guilty, but we are sticking together. Joseph gets to see this. He gets, them, gets to see them choose self-preservation over, uh, sorry, he gets to see them choose Benjamin over self-preservation. They previously had sold Joseph away because he was annoying. And now they're going to stick with Benjamin even in the face of slavery. I think this is when Joseph starts to crack, starts to see his brothers as being willing to be reconciled. 
And here we get Joseph's, sorry, we get Judah's plea for his brother. Before we get into that, though, I want to talk about Judah. Judah, from Joseph's vantage point, is sort of the worst. Judah said to his brothers in Genesis 37, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. But from our vantage point too, Judah is also sort of the worst. In Genesis 38, we get an entire chapter devoted to Judah's lack of character. But God uses Judah. Just as God has used many men seemingly unfit to be his servants. Moses, Moses was a murderer. David an adulterer. Paul persecuted many Christians in the New Testament. And all of these men are, are sinners used by God. Zach posed the question in 38, and I think it bears repeating, what if the story of Joseph is really the story of Judah's redemption? We'll hear in the coming chapters the role Judah's family line will play in God's story. But for now, we get to hear him speak to his brother, Changed. So upon returning to Joseph's house, they find the cup. After they had found the cup, Judah approaches Joseph to plead for Benjamin's life. We know that they had taken an oath to protect the boy and they had taken his life and by proxy their own father's life in their hands. We hear Judah plea for Benjamin in a way that Joseph needs to hear. Now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. This is a man changed. This is a family legacy forever shifted. This is a broken sinner lying prone on the floor in front of someone that holds all the power and begging for reconsideration. The same man that was concerned with the opportunity cost of killing his brother is now offering himself as a replacement for the young and favored son of his father. At this point in Genesis, we've seen very few healthy sibling relationships. Cain killed Abel. Ishmael is banished to the wilderness because of Sarah's fear for Isaac. Jacob steals Esau's blessing and then tricks him out of his birthright. So we're, we see a shift here. We're presented with an image of the men God want to build, wants to build his kingdom on a willing sacrifice to save his brother and a look forward to Jesus. In devising these tests, Joseph is checking the character of his brothers. Have they changed? Will they sacrifice Simeon to save themselves? Will they sacrifice Benjamin to save themselves? Would they sell me into slavery again? Do they want me back? The brothers pass the test and are repentant. They know the things they've done and they're sorry for them. They want their brother Benjamin back and Joseph can see that they may want him back too. He reveals himself to his brothers. In Genesis 45, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? 
but they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Joseph knows his heart and after multiple tests is ready to reconcile with his brothers. His brothers, on the other hand, are terrified. Two chapters ago, they thought the men of Egypt were gonna steal their donkeys. They are already racked with guilt and fearful of the situation they're in. And then they suddenly learn that the man they've harmed worse than anyone they've ever known holds them in his grasp. This is when Joseph begins his work to reconcile with his family. He extends forgiveness. We know God has been with Joseph in these struggles. In Genesis 39.2, the Lord is with Joseph. Genesis 39.21, but the Lord is with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Genesis 41.39, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one as discerning and wise as you are. Joseph has been able to see how God used the situation to not only save him, but save his family. The man that has every reason to be angry and bitter towards his brothers forgives him and then shows them that their actions were in fact used by God. Joseph continues in 45, I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these land for two years and there will be five more without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it is not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father of Pharaoh, Lord of, the entire, of his entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. The guilt and the sin by the brothers over their action over 20 years ago has shaped the men that they are. And in that crucible and in that time, they've grown as people and now are prepared to reconcile with their brother. Joseph, in that same time, has been able to come to terms with the weight of what happened and that the way God has used this situation to save his family. In the closing details of Joseph's reintroduction, we have a call back to the relationship at the beginning of Genesis 37. In 37, we read, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. And then in 45, Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. As we work through Genesis, we've learned that the author doesn't slip in small details, things without consequence. This single phrase, I think, has a pretty significant amount of impact. Brothers that could not speak peaceably with each other now are reconciled, are conversing, are catching up. Once hostile and divided, now growing together and pursuing friendships. Both parties working to reconcile relationships that have been broken by sin. Reconciliation has a clear purpose to restore relationships between parties, but it can also have another byproduct. Like bringing an end to the galactic empire, only better. I said I was a nerd at the top, a Star Wars reference shouldn't surprise anyone. 
Yes, even better than the byproduct of a father betraying his evil mentor and throwing him over a ledge while being struck by force lightning to save his son. Reconciliation can be a witness to those around us. If we go back to our illustration from earlier, reconciliation is two people starting to walk back towards each other. But it's rare that this happens in isolation. Much like the story of Joseph, we others get to see how these things work. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace, Joseph's brothers have come. Pharaoh and his servants were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and go back to the land of Canaan. Get your father and your families and come back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can eat from the richness of the land. The return of Joseph's brothers has an impact greater than just within their family. It is felt and celebrated by Pharaoh and by the kingdom of Egypt. Pharaoh seemed genuinely pumped for Joseph and his family. He gave them the best of the land and had him bring his entire family. Joseph's generosity that he displayed in forgiving his family and forgiving his brothers inspired Pharaoh to also be generous. In our relational elder training, I've heard Zach ask this question a few different ways. How can we be a witness in situations that are difficult? How can we move the pharaohs around us with our own actions and have them take notice? In John, we hear, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As Christians, we're given a different playbook. We have example after example of biblical characters redeemed and reconciled to glorify God. The Christian call to reconciliation, though, is weird. In the parable of the prodigal son, the brother that remains reacts to the celebration for his brother that is returned in the way that the world expects to react to those who have wronged them. In Luke 15, then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Working to reconcile these relationships with people that have sinned against us is hard work. It's not easy. It takes time and effort. But it can prove to honor God and benefit his people. In an interview with NPR, 10 years after her son murdered five Amish children and injured five more, the shooter's mother remembered thinking, I will never face my Amish neighbors again. That same week of, the, of that tragedy, in a private funeral for their son, they were surprised when 40 Amish people surrounded them in a crescent. Terry, the mother says, I will never forget the devastation caused by my son. But one of the fathers the other night, he said, none of us would have chosen this, but the relationships that we have built through it 
You can't put a price on that. Terry continues, and their choice to allow life to move forward was quite a healing balm for us. Many people criticized the Amish community's complete and immediate forgiveness of this family, of this act. But to that mother and to those around in that community, it was a tremendous witness. The Amish people, as followers of Christ, really only saw one path through this tragedy. We have to forgive said Aaron Beeler, whose farm is just a few minutes away from the school. Jesus forgave us our sins. How can we expect to forgive if we can't give it? Oh, sorry, how can we expect forgiveness if we can't give it? Paul in his letter to Galatians said it this way, brothers and sisters, if anyone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. There was tremendous grief and sorrow in this community. But what could have festered into bitterness and hatred instead grew into friendships and forgiveness that was unexpected and by many people simply not understood. Paul writes about the power of reconciliation in his letter to the Romans. But, but God proves his own love for us in, what, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if... While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Christ's willingness to take the sins of all people and submit himself to death is the ultimate act of reconciliation and the ultimate witness. We are sinful people and sin separates us from God. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we have a path to reconciliation with God. We, have, we as Christians are called to recognize that our pursuit is towards God and not towards sin. Our efforts to reconcile ourselves to God who continuously proves us should be a clear witness for the world to see. Sin separates us. Reconciliation brings us back together. That reconciliation is a reflection of a merciful God that provided a path for redemption. Let's do some Q&R. Okay. Uh, the New Testament often says God is at work reconciling the world to himself and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. How can we work, reconcile, how can we work to reconcile the world to God? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit too. Um, I'm gonna read a passage that is also in, the, we talk about in the communion intro, but in 2 Corinthians, 
519, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he is committed to the message of reconciliation to us. I think the way that I, I read this passage and interpret that is that, that God is pursuing to reconcile himself to all people. And through Christ, God, and then us as Christians, we are reconciled to him in that moment, right? That we talk about that uh, illustration where sin uh, is two people walking away, and then reconciliation is people walking together towards each other. For human relationships, because we are wrought with sin, that we're going to falter and fall and slip. And the beauty of the relationship that God offers us through Christ is that that reconciliation is is immediate, right? And so I would, the way I would answer this question is that we are called to be a witness, to, to bring other people to Christ, to be a display for his beauty and his love and his forgiveness. And that the way that we work to reconcile others to God is to expose them to the opportunity to be reconciled to God through Christ. Um, what should I do when the other party isn't ready to reconcile, but I am? And I think that's a, um, it's another good thing that I, I elected not to touch on as but we walk through this, but I think that uh, it's hard, right? When, we, when someone wants to reconcile and the other party does not. And reconciliation specifically, by its very de- definition, requires both people uh, to have a willingness to reconcile. Now, we are called to forgive um, obviously as Christians. And so the first step is forgive. But if you can't reconcile those people, forgiveness has to be enough, right? And reconciliation um, is a pursuit, right? To continually work towards that. But if that other party is unwilling, there are going to be relationships that it's entirely possible you will never reconcile in your life. You could have relationships that are broken and people can die. Things can happen. There is just... You must, you can work towards that. If there's areas where you feel like you could get counsel and help, seek out advice from people you trust, elders in the church, get wise counsel, but also rest in the fact that if you've forgiven, that can be enough, right? Those, those relationships may not ever be reconciled. Okay, in a few moments, we're going to take communion together. When we last left Jacob, he was approaching starvation. Having already lost one son, he had declared that if anything happened to Benjamin, he would surely die. The grief would be too great to bear. So there he is, waiting for his sons to return or death to come, and is greeted by a parade bringing bringing news that Joseph is in fact alive. In Genesis 45, then Israel said, enough, my son Joseph is still alive. I will go see him before I die. A son risen from the grave, betrayed, buried, risen, 
and glorified. As we compare the story of Joseph with the story of Jesus, there's one major difference. Joseph went into Egypt at the hands of his brothers. Jesus willingly carried our sins with him to the cross. And we have a chance at life because of his death and suffering. So I'll read you 2 Corinthians again. That is, in Christ, God has rec- was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. As the band plays, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. Feel free to take the elements and either return to your seats or use the prayer rugs at the front. We have wine or juice per the dictates of your conscience. As we take the elements of communion, the bread representing the body of Jesus broken for you and the blood representing, represented by the juice or the wine, the blood Jesus shed for you. These elements are representative of the effort of God's path towards reconciliation with his people. A willing sacrifice of Jesus to save us. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.